This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. And a good morning and Merry Christmas to you all. Sterling Fox sitting in for the vacationing Mike Smith here on CKNW and the network as we are on Christmas Eve 2020. Many of us <laughs> feeling rather lucky to be here, frankly, and a lot of us really curious about what next Christmas is going to look like because this one sure is different. Great program lined up for you today. In about a half hour or so, we're going to check in with the tourism industry. You recall yesterday or earlier this week, um, the government of British Columbia announced $105 million in support for the tourism industry of British Columbia, one responsible for many billions of dollars into our economy on an annual basis. So the bottom line for them and for us is, well, what does that represent in terms of enough to get you through to uh, when we can have visitors again and get the tourism industry back up and running? We'll talk to their uh, one of the board members from Tourism Industry BC. Tony Gismondi will join us later in the program well, as well with some great wine tips, some last-minute pairing tips. I know the lineups at the liquor stores are going to be a tad long today, but as long as you're going to be there, Tony will have a suggestion or two as to what you might want to pick up, you know, just to top things off very nicely. But we begin our program today with a dentist on the line, Dr. Alistair Nichol, is a spokesperson for the BC Dental Association, joining us from Elkford this morning to talk about the priority given to BC dentists by the health authorities in BC when it comes to COVID-19 vaccines. They are essential workers, designated so by the province, and yet their priority in the lineup for vaccines is, uh, well, shall we say, down the line a bit. Tim, have we got that clip of Dr. Henry talking about the dentist, and then we'll speak to Dr. Nickel. Here's Bonnie Henry first. Um, and in terms of uh, dentists, yes, I know there are many, many groups of people who want to know where they fall right now. And what I will tell you is we will know more about that when we have a better idea how much vaccine is available when. Right now, we have a limited amount of vaccine and we're focusing on those we can protect who are most at risk. But absolutely, uh, we'll be looking at how to do that in the future. But I will say... It is not likely to be until the end of March, April, when it's going to be more widely available for everybody. So that everybody in those, uh, in those groups needs to think about that time frame. That's uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry in conversation at a press conference a few uh, days ago. Dr. Alistair Nickel on the line. Good morning, Dr. Nickel. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. You're most welcome. It's and, uh it's, it's great to have an opportunity to be on the show. Well, love to have you, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, sir, and to yours. And uh, let's talk a little bit about priorities. Now, the news, it, it's a good news piece, actually, Alistair. Between that announcement by Dr. Henry reminding everyone of the chronology involved and this moment, we've had the Prime Minister come on and say, well, guess what? We've got more vaccine than we had anticipated. The more of it will be arriving a little bit sooner. So if anything, Dr. Nickel, that might mean better supply and therefore um, a, a faster vaccination program for BC's dentists. 
Well, absolutely. Um, you know, as everybody is aware, the vaccine at this moment is, 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 is in quite short supply. And of course, we have to look at certain priority groups. Sure. And the BCDA and BC dentists in general uh, accept and understand and agree with the, uh, the recommendations and the plan ro- uh, announced by the, uh, the provincial health officer. And those first groups, I mean, these are, it's it's absolutely clear that they need to be there. It's residents, staff, essential visitors in long-term care facilities. It's the people providing care for those in long-term care facilities. It's also the healthcare workers who are most at risk. And those are the ones who are actually working on a day-by-day basis with people who either have Mm COVID-19 or may have COVID-19. So we're talking emergency rooms, intensive care units. Uh, the medical wards where the COVID-19 positive patients are being cared for. And that the, the rollout is going to be phased. So that's the first phase. There are also certain key uh, Indigenous groups that are highly at risk, and they, they may be included in that first phase. Mm-hmm. As the vaccine becomes more widely available, uh, the, govern, uh, the, uh, the province will start to look at the next group. You know, people like uh, uh, seniors of the age of 80 living in the community, sure. uh, various other institutionals, as well as healthcare staff more generally. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, dentists are healthcare providers. Uh, we work uh, every day in, um, in, in, with, a, with a great variety of patients, often providing essential or emergency treatments that uh, where there can be um, where there's a significant downside to delaying them mm-hmm. and and in, a cha- and in a challenging setting i mean our patients can't wear a mask while we're treating them we're often generating aerosols uh, so yes. uh, as healthcare providers uh, we we uh, it would be reasonable and we fully expect that along with the rest of the health uh, healthcare community uh, dentists will be vaccinated around that time as well. Well, if anything, you know, it's, we seem to be getting a little better at generating supplies. And of course, there are more and more models of the vaccine coming from different manufacturers. And once, of course, Health Canada approves them, that again will expand the availability and hopefully shorten the lineups. Dr. Nickel, while I've got you on the phone, sir, I went to the BC Dental Association website, of which you are a member, and I, I just started looking at your COVID-19 section because it's wonderful. You've got terrific information on there. But I stopped at one question, and I thought I would ask you about it on the radio. The question, okay. was, the question was, will wearing a mask cause dental problems? You know, that there's been some discussion about that. I'm not aware that it's supported by any kind of research. Um, I don't think that it's likely to cause dental problems, but... Uh, Again, we are, you know, wearing a mask for prolonged period of times, especially one that is, it makes it difficult to breathe through. It's quite challenging. Exactly. And, and you go on to, to explain about uh, the fact that uh, poor oral hygiene, uh, bad breath, all of that stuff, drinking less water because of having to wear a mask can cause a dry mouth. And then you have these tips to avoid mask mouth. And it starts with, as you would expect from the dentists, brush your teeth at least twice every day. Well, everybody should be brushing their teeth at least twice every day. Of course. (laughs) And uh, they also advise chew sugar-free gum and visit the dentist. Was there a point, Dr. Nickel, before I let you go, that the dentists of this province were completely shut down? No, there wasn't. There was a strong recommendation 
uh, on uh, made through our uh, regulatory colleges as well as the uh, the provincial health officer to limit treatment to emergency care only. Mm-hmm. So there was a period for about two months between uh, mid-March and mid-April, a lot of part of March, a lot of part of uh, mid-May to mid-May, so that two-month period when we tried as best we could not to see pe- people in person unless we really had to because their, their, their needs, mm-hmm. their healthcare needs were so urgent. Sure. So yes, we were to a large extent, one might say, shut down, providing only emergency care. Well, it's good to have you all back, and uh, I'm delighted that uh, the vaccine uh, uh, acquisition program on the part of the Canadian government appears to be uh, robust, and we're hoping not only that the dentists and other healthcare providers in our province are vaccinated as quickly as possible. Uh, that We're hoping that because we're next. So thanks very much for joining us, Dr. Nickel. We appreciate your appearance today. Merry Christmas to you and your fellow dentists who provide important service to British Columbians every day. Well, thank you so much. It's Sterling Fox in for Mike Smith on this chilly but lovely looking Christmas Eve. It's minus two in the morning sunshine. Squire Barnes on the line from Global TV Sports Bureau. Good morning, Squire. Good morning, Sterling. I think in all the years we've been on this job, we've never talked together. You know, I think you're right. and it's, At least not on the air. I, that's true. Well, yes, we've had a few chats in the hallways, yes, but that's you're right. right. Probably not on the air. Well, it's a great day to start. I, I, I'm, all, I'm a little jazzed up this morning because I got to watch a real hockey game with Canada-Russia yesterday. That was a good start, although we, lost the, we lost the captain, and he's not able to yeah. be replaced. So that's know, not good that news. So, no, that wasn't good. But considering most of those kids in the Canadian team hadn't played a real game since March, they did pretty well. No kidding. Uh, and, of course, there's a, one of the Russians that we Vancouver fans need to keep an eye on. And he, is he not their captain, Pod, Pod Colson? Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. And he actually, you know, he had a good rush there. Um, I mean, he's a guy the Canucks are pretty high on. And I think his contract in Russia runs out at the end of April. So the Canucks are looking forward to trying getting him signed up. Aha. Well, now that leads us ever so smoothly into talking about the Canucks, the Senators, the Habs, the Oilers, the Northern Division. I don't think they're going to call us the Canadian Division. They're going to call us the Northern Division. And according to uh, the headlines on TSN, here's what I'm reading here. NHL believed to have approval to move forward in Canadian cities. But, Squire, they're talking about a phased bubble approach for the first few weeks, a kind of an Edmonton-like bubble and then loosening off going forward. What are you hearing? This is really fresh stuff. Yeah, well, last night it came out that the um, all the health officers in all the Canadian provinces, which would be five, Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, Alberta, and B.C., were basically acting in concert. They didn't want you know two to say yes and three to say no, or yeah. however the combination was. Mm-hmm. They wanted to all be a one voice on this, which makes sense. And they were not, the health officers didn't like the uh, testing proposals the NHL had. I think the, the health officers were looking for not just players and, and officials on teams to be tested, but families as well, mm-hmm. because the players in this situation would be allowed to live at home in their cities, unlike what we saw in the summer with the bubble in Edmonton and Toronto. Right. But the health officers thought, well, if you're not going to do that, maybe you should start with a bubble and see how it goes, and if things start clearing up, get out of the bubble and start doing what you want to do, or 
delay the start of the season maybe by a week or two. They want to start on the 13th. Yes. I think the feeling, Sterling, um, from all the health officers is, look, we're going to go through the Christmas season, and we won't know the numbers of cases until around the time you want to start the season. Mm-hmm. So I think some of them thought, why don't you just push it a week, and we'll see how it goes, and then if you have to go to a bubble uh, you should. Well, we saw the Thanksgiving surge certainly um, played out in spades in the States. And of course, everybody's still getting on planes there. So typically there, there will be a Christmas surge. And I guess in, mm-hmm. Can- in Canada, our health people are concerned that there would be a Canadian Christmas surge of some kind. And they want that to be over with before hockey starts, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think what's going to happen is the NHL will respond today to what uh, the letter was that the health officer sent them yesterday. And, and maybe the NHL tweaks what they've done. And what I have heard from people I know in the NHL and especially at the Canucks is that what the NHL had proposed was pretty stringent for its players. It was essentially you fly into the town, you go right to the hotel, you don't leave the hotel, you don't wander the streets, you don't go out to restaurants, you go basically airport, hotel, arena, back to hotel, back to airport, and you're gone. Right. And and the one thing about the schedule that came out yesterday, it's a 56-game schedule. So for the Canucks, they'd play Edmonton and Calgary 10 times, Winnipeg, Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal nine times. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the schedule, you'll see that when teams come to town, for example, if the schedule goes as it's written now, Montreal, for example, would come in in mid to late January – into Vancouver and play three straight games. Yes. They wouldn't play one game and leave. They'd stay here and play three, and then they'd go. Well, we haven't seen them for almost three years, so wouldn't that, <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, the thing is, you know, of course, anytime Toronto and Montreal come to town, all these Toronto and Montreal fans seem to come out of the woodwork. Oh, yeah. They're very brave suddenly, and they put their uniforms on. Well, this would be nirvana to them, except they can't go to the game. That's right. No one can, and uh, that's no that's likely to be the way. Now, regardless of phased bubbles and whether or not players get to uh, have to start in hotels, doing that scenario they went through last summer up in Edmonton Squire, or mm-hmm. wh- whether or whether the bubble releases after a while when and uh, when things appear to be moving forward successfully, and the players do get to go back home from time to time, nobody's going to be in any of those seven Canadian rinks for any of this season. Are they? No, unless unless something drastically changes, uh, you know, before the end of the regular season, which is supposed to be uh, May eighth. I think the regular season ends. Then the playoffs. I mean, maybe by then, maybe fans will be allowed back in the building. I mean, I know that everybody wants that. We want to get back to normal, but nobody wants it more than the seven owners of these teams because. Not having fans in the building means the owners aren't going to make money in this venture. That's right. And, oh, by the way, that leads us to, uh, we have one minute for this, but that leads, okay. us, that leads us to advertising on helmets to start and eventually all over the gear like those European teams. <laughs> they look like race car pit crews, for crying out loud. But the owners need the dough, don't they? They, they do. I, I mean, it's a slippery slope because once they do it, it's like, hmm, let's just do it again next year. So the NHL has approved that you can put um, – something on your helmet. I think the New Jersey Devils have already signed up with Prudential Insurance, so that will be on the side of their helmet. Right, right. You know what's funny? The NBA started, uh, not last night, the night before, but of course it continued last night. If you look at NBA teams, they are now allowed to have, it's a little patch near their heart, which is a company name. They've been doing it as well. 
Uh, very, uh, but I hope it doesn't get like Europe. I remember, I think it may have been Cliff Ronning who told me a story when he played in Europe. It may have been him or maybe someone else. That they had all this advertising on their uniform, but they'd have to change after every period because they had other advertising they had to show. <laughs> so they'd essentially have three uniforms. It's like, here's your first period uniform. The second period uniform is Joe's Grocery Store. And the third period uniform is Bob's Trucks. Oh, my. Make sure you wear it. I sure hope we don't come to that. I but hope we don't let's ho- that hope those helmet ads aren't too offensive either. Squire, thanks yeah. for this. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. It's about time we, we had a radio sure. conversation. All the best yeah. to you. We'll do this Always again in 2021. Yeah, let's hope 2021 gets back to the old normal. It's a total of $105 million is now designated for people and businesses who work in the tourism industry. That is the minister responsible for tourism just a couple of days ago making the announcement of $105 million from the B.C. government to support our devastated tourism industry. Is it enough? Well, let's find out. Vivek Sharma joins us. He is a member of the board of the Tourism Industry of Association of B.C. and uh, representing the tourism industry. Good morning and welcome. Thank you very much, and happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Well, thank you, and the same to you. Um, the uh, Were you also a member of the Tourism Task Force, that 12-person panel the government appointed a few months ago to provide the the material that they based this monetary decision on? I was not. I'm the chair of the board for Taya BC, uh, and I was not, though I was not a part of the task force. Walt Judas, our CEO at Taya BC, was a member of that task force. Okay, and so was the, did the, because I remember, Vivek, and this goes back a while, and I had a conversation with Walt about this on the air, about what sort of funding do you feel would be appropriate for the tourism industry and the dire straits it finds itself in? And as I recall, the figure at the time was in excess of $500 million. So how then, if that was the sort of wish list number, Vivek, how then does the industry react to a $105 million announcement? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think we need to acknowledge and appreciate what the government has put on the table. You know, this allows uh, more money to get into the hands of tourism operators. Uh, You know, this current move, the changes that they have done uh, will allow some businesses that previously were not being able to access the fund, like sole proprietors, seasonally closed businesses, etc. You know, we need to remember that um, a large part of our industry or, you know, um, businesses which are, you know, what we qualify as medium and larger local tourism businesses are still not being able to get this fund. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Yes, we had put through, you know, the ask of 550 or $650 million uh, way back uh, initially, and the government had said that this is just a first step. So um, we are hoping that we will keep progressing uh, in terms of the aid that the industry will be getting. So now this, uh, you're hoping that it's a first step, but as uh, we watched the minister, Melanie Mark, uh, talk about this yesterday, it sounded pretty final. But I'm wondering, is there some wiggle room in there, do you think, from both sides, Vivek, so that going forward, if this turns out to be a great start, but, you know, just not quite enough, the government might be able to step back up? Well, so... We as an industry didn't say this as a first step. Uh, if you remember when Premier Horrigan had announced uh, the initial aid in, 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 uh, in September, if I remember, he had mentioned that this is a start. 
so, so and that was that of, was with the fifty million dollar announcement back then, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, we're just kind of kind of hoping, or well, not hoping. I mean, that's that's our ask. Uh, and and you know, when it comes to you know, when you were saying, is there a wiggle room? We all know what the current situation is mm-hmm. and how the industry is suffering. So it's not that the industry is asking for money because you know they want to grow their business or they want to go and buy some new equipment or so on and so forth. This mm-hmm. is about survival. Can you tell us, and it's not the happiest uh, question I'm going to have to ask you this morning, but can you tell us, Vivek, how many tourism sector businesses in our province have gone away, not likely to return? Um, I I don't have the exact number on the top of my head, um, so I don't want to kind of speculate. But what we do know is that this was more than a $20 billion industry in 2019. Yes. Uh, This year, the forecasts are about six to eight billion dollars, you know. Um, So, so, you know, if we do the maths, um, that, that alone kind of shows where the gap is. What the industries worry is not what have the, the, the businesses that have gone under already, that's, that's a huge worry. Mm-hmm. However, the bigger worry is what's going to happen between now and spring of 2021 and how many more will go down and, and get to a point where there's no tourism industry left in the province. Yeah. Uh, are there strings attached to this? Now, we're, I, I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of the government programs, government relief programs in British Columbia. The only current example we have is the BC Recovery Benefit, which, of course, is just beginning and is not without its problems, website collapses, being overwhelmed, that sort of thing. And many British Columbians surprised, to say the very least, by the intricacy of some of the requirements to uh, to uh, be accepted into the program. Uh, is are there similar strings attached to people in the tourism industry, Vivek, who apply for government support with respect to uh, producing paperwork and that sort of thing? Well, I mean. You know, there have to be checks and balances. You know, this is taxpayers' money, so having checks and balances is obviously the right thing. Fair enough. Um, and, and like I said at the beginning, that there is, you know, there are medium and larger local tourism businesses which are still not qualifying for this. So, uh, based on the criteria that it is set up. So, it is, you know, as much as this is going to help a certain section of our industry, and, and we wholeheartedly welcome this news just before the holidays, sure. uh, more needs to happen uh, around those businesses which are excluded or are not being able to qualify. Well, one of the problems we seem to be having is that they're basing the requirement information on last year's uh, tax returns, as in uh, reports of uh, success or failure and, and how the business went. And if you had a, an okay year last year, but then when under, when lockdown happened in March and have done virtually nothing, nothing since uh, that it, it, it makes it it makes it hard for some to reconcile that they may not be eligible because they had too good a year last year which doesn't matter anymore it doesn't uh, the other thing you know which which the government has modified now is initially that it, it, it said that it has to be in business for three years and they changed that to 18 months okay uh, which was, you know, a, a huge step forward in, in making sure that more businesses are able to qualify. Uh, but, you know, these are all things that, uh, you know, need to be worked through. Uh, and, and, you know, we need to find ways collaboratively to make sure that more businesses are able to access this. 
And are there is is within the tourism sector, it's a huge sector. And as you said, it represents up to 20 billion dollars annually for the B.C. economy. But Vivek, in within that sector, are there any specific areas that have been hit even more hard than others? You know, I think everybody has been hit equally hard in the ecosystem. And, and there is a reason we call it the ecosystem, because one can't survive without the other. Right. You know? yep. the, hotel, the hotels can't do better without the activity providers, which can't do better without the tour operators and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it'll be tough for me to say that, uh, you know, which has been hit harder or not. We do know that in some communities, you know, some sections have done a little bit better than the others. For instance, in, in you know when you have locals traveling, they they travel differently as compared to international travelers. Sure. So yes, in certain communities, you know, in the month of July and August, our accommodation partners may have done better, uh, but the local activity providers didn't really see that translate into their revenue because when we travel as Canadians, we don't go for bear watching, we don't go for whale watching because I see bears in the back in my backyard every day. You know? <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, that's right. So, so, so I won't say that some people have been hit harder or not, but what I do know is that, yes, you know, when, when there were stories in July and August of, you know, some communities doing better than the others, we need to take that with a grain of salt and understand that only certain sections of those communities were doing better, not all sections of the community. And uh, this morning, uh, subsequent to the minister's announcement of that $105 million fund, uh, what are you hearing back from industry members province-wide? I think, you know, what I said in the beginning that, you know, the industry is is thanking the minister and the government for, for the aid or the changes that they have announced. Uh, but we also want to see, you know, and, and, and um, kind of going back to what the premier had said when this initially was announced in September that this is a starting point and, and we need to keep moving forward on this journey together. Vivek Sharma, thanks very much for this. We appreciate the opportunity to, to get some feedback from the industry. The, the minister made the announcement just a short while ago. You've had enough time to canvas some of your uh, industry members. And uh, we appreciate the report this morning, the reaction time and, and uh, what, uh, what the expectation level remains. Thank you so much. And Thank by the way, and have to, a great holiday season. And, and, and to echo your, your salutation as we began the conversation, Merry Christmas to you and to all the members of the tourism industry in British columbia it's been a rough year here's hoping things get better soon they will this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright chloe blazer for brunch find inspiration for your new vibe Every day at Saks.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you so much. Mike Smith is on Christmas break. I'm Sterling Fox. Nice to be with you in the morning sunshine on Christmas Eve. It's a pleasure to welcome this character to our program. He is a very well-known figure in Vancouver media, a longtime wine writer for the Vancouver Sun, also many years on the radio on another network, hosting the best of food and wine, and now he hosts Anthony Gismondi on wine at gismondionwine.com. Anthony Gismondi is with us to talk a little wine, a little last minute Christmas celebrations. The liquor stores are open, Anthony, and it's good to have you with us. Tony, good morning. Hey, good morning to you, Sterling. Uh, so the liquor stores are still open. That's fantastic. <laughs> and oh, the lineups are going to be something else you oh, don't man. you don't even want to think about. But uh, hey, okay, so you're going to go to pick up some vodka and some rum for the eggnog and all the rest of it, you know. Uh, but uh, we also have a chance to talk a little bit about what wines work with Christmas, and, and, and I know that we're talking reduced gatherings, not enormous feasts with a large crowd, but if you're on the on a budget and you still enjoy a glass of wine, that's not a bad thing either, is it? No, it's not. I think it's, a, it's also a good opportunity to, you know, explore some wines that maybe you wouldn't uh, normally, uh, you know, be drinking with bigger crowds, so... So maybe you do spend a little more money. I don't know. I've been thinking about that, that maybe people will trade up a little bit since, uh, you know, they don't have to serve 10 or 12 people. I'm thinking that, I'm thinking exactly the same thing. If, you know, if you're typically you would go out and you've got, say, let's say for a round number, a dozen people coming over for a family feast. Yeah. Well, you're going to probably buy three or four bottles of wine at least. Exactly. Uh, if, you're, if there's just maybe three or four of you and that's the maximum it's going to get, well, you're yep. maybe going to buy two bottles and... Uh, you've, you've got the same budget, so yeah, you're going to do better, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It just depends on you know what what you want out of it. Uh, it was funny you you mentioned you know going in to get a bottle of scotch or whatever, and uh, it makes me think of the uh, the old Yellowtail wine that was so successful, and it was all built around getting a bottle of wine while you're in the store buying your beer or your scotch or your gin. That's right. How much of that marketing, how much of that branding and uh, association still works for wine? Oh, I think it does. And I think, uh, you know, what we've seen in the pandemic is that a lot of people have gone back to the bigger brands. There's some sort of connection there, you know, like let's say if you went in the store for California, you would probably gravitate to, to Mondavi or Sebastiani or some of those labels that have been around forever. That's what we've been seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what that connection is, but uh, maybe it's a bit like comfort food. I don't know. Uh, let's talk a little bit about local wines, Tony, yeah. because uh, this is something that uh, uh, British Columbia's wine industry, uh, it, it's absolutely, uh, it's just teeming. It's just booming. It's just coming along beautifully. When I first moved to this province in the mid-70s, there there wasn't a decent red to be had anywhere, and there were maybe half a dozen okay whites. Boy, have we come a long way. We sure have. We've we've totally flipped it over. I, I say to people, if you missed the first 30 years, good for you, because <laughs> the, the last 10 have been the story. Uh, but yeah, they, they've done really well. And I think another, you know, another uh, response from the pandemic is uh, people buying local. And I think a lot of people are shocked uh, by the quality of BC wine now. And, uh, you know, and we mean it. I mean, you know, there's boosters out there, but really when you taste these wines and you taste them blind and you taste them against, you know, the same sort of set of wines from around the world, it's very difficult now to decide, 
you know, which is better. So that's good for us. Yeah, and, and the, 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 one, the, the one thing that offsets that curiosity to find out more about local wine, Tony, and it's just, it's a financial reality. If I can buy a bottle of Malbec from Argentina, and it's really a really killer bottle for maybe $16, $17, yeah. uh, I, I, that's as much as I want to spend on a, on a similar quality bottle of local wine, and I'm finding that kind of hard to find. Yeah. Well, they're expensive, no doubt about it. They don't like to talk about that. They they like to tell you that it's, you know, the land's expensive and all the rest of it. But I, you know, it's a combination of so many things. And I think, you know, the taxation on imported wines has left such a gap there that they could step into. So they've they've taken advantage of that. And uh, for a long time, uh, those wines weren't worth it. Now I would say they're worth it, but they're still uh, out of the price range of many people. So it's a you know, you got to work hard to find uh, to find the bargains. Well, you know, let, let's let's take advantage of this perhaps uh, loose moment in terms of, of the way we're budgeting. Because if we have set yeah. us, if we have set aside a few bucks for at least a, a nice dinner and a, and a glass of wine or whatever over the holidays, and yeah. we're and we're not going to have to buy massive volumes to accommodate a huge crowd, so we can spend a few extra bucks. This would be a great time to sample a few local uh, wines. And do they? And they're not all necessarily VQA wines either, are they? Uh, well, mostly today they are, but there are there are a few. I, I think that that's another thing that's changed. People are finally getting in, you know, jumping in on that bandwagon because VQA, it, VQA, although it's it's never for me been a guarantee of quality. It's always meant one hundred percent BC, and I think that's what's useful for yes. for people buying. So. Let's take, for instance, if you're having dinner this week or uh, tomorrow or over the next few days, uh, if you're a vegetarian, for instance. So I would suggest something like Riesling. Uh, this is such a versatile wine and works with so many of those different dishes. So you could go today you know, into the LDB and you could buy a bottle of Tantalus Riesling from East Kelowna, which stands uh, beside any other Riesling in the world at this price range. It's twenty four forty nine, and it's a fantastic bottle of wine. Oh, okay. So, Tantalus, it, huh? Yeah, Tantalus. Uh, it's just a terrific winery, also a great place to visit. And, and I think what you're going to see in the next 10 years, the next big development is obviously going to be in the north Okanagan. So from Kelowna north up to Vernon, there's going to be an explosion of uh, vineyards and plantings because of the cooler climate. And so, so that's a great bottle to look for. Uh, also, uh, let's say you're you're a salmon fan, or you're having salmon for dinner. Then uh, Pinot Noir is a great wine for salmon. So Cedar Creek Pinot Noir, the 2018, also available in uh, in local stores, is twenty seven dollars. So so those are two you know two wines that you could actually have them both on the table. Uh, and and they would do well with with that kind of matching. That's interesting. Quality. Interesting. You would recommend a, a red wine with salmon. I'm very partial to that combination myself. But there's a there is a school of thought out there, perhaps an old school, Tony. But yeah. that that you know, if it's fish, it's got to be white. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, I don't stick to that at all. I you know I think people should drink what they what they like to start with. But I think you find, like, I, you know, it's kind of, I always say to people, it's like peanut butter and jam, spaghetti and meatballs. Some things just go together. Right. And you can't, you know, you can't dismiss that. So, so in this case, uh, you know, a red wine with fish, there, there's a famous book about that. And, and uh, although I don't do it with a lot of different things, I do like it with the, the Pinot Noir, the earthiness of the Pinot Noir. 
and the oiliness and the 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 the, the salinity in the in the salmon it all comes together nicely so i would recommend that but here's a real bargain you probably would never buy a bottle of semion most people wouldn't even know uh, the grape semion which is a, it was a grape that was largely a, a blending grape in Bordeaux, used in white Bordeaux. So it normally goes together with Sauvignon Blanc. Very okay. fresh, very clean. Well, Barche Brothers Semillon is one of the best white wines made in BC. It sells for sixteen ninety nine in the store. Wow! And it is fantastic. Uh, and you could that that's a wine you could serve with ham. Uh, you could serve it with turkey. Or you could just you know have a slice of cheese and and uh, or a you know a charcuterie board and enjoy it with that. But it's really a delicious. It's a fresh wine, aromatic, and it has uh, you know one of the things that that sets us apart now in British Columbia is I think is the savoriness of our wines, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a certain character that comes from the sub desert, like from from the the scrubland. Like when you're in the Okanagan in the summer and it's warm and yeah. you're outside and you smell that sagebrush and and desert air, that ends up in our wine, and it gives it a little bit of complexity, and I think that for our white wines, it's really interesting. Yeah, thinking Imkami, for example, right yeah. there, right there on the edge of the desert. They've got a winery. How about that? Yeah, now, the, totally. name, the name of this uh, Semio, again, please. For, it's for the, the Barche Brothers, so Michael Barche is down on the Black Sage bench, so B-A-R-T-I-E-R. It's widely available. Barche has a number of great wines in the store, a Syrah as well. Uh, and a Merlot, so he he's made a commitment to BCLDB stores, which is unusual. A lot of BC wineries don't want to be sold in there. But another good tip for your listeners is that the single largest collection of BC wines now today is sold in uh, Save On Foods. Really. Yeah, they have over a thousand wines in Save On Foods. Well, they, they have just about everything you could imagine. I know that they've you know really been pushing the BC only uh, section of their yeah. supermarkets, and for a lot of uh, British Columbia shoppers who have been out around the world, it's about time we started to be able to be treated yeah. like adults and buy <laughs> buy our wine where we buy our groceries. Yeah. Uh, and some people are going well. It's only, so some people are going well. It's only BC wine. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but there's a thousand labels, so go for it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just remember all those years going in, in grocery stores in Washington and California, yeah. and I never saw anybody fighting, I never saw anybody drunk, and I never really understood what the whole deal was about why we couldn't do that. Uh, so now we're doing it, and of course there's no issues with it, uh, and it's a great place to go, and they, they have a lovely system there. Uh, it's all alphabetical, so if you're a fan of Cedar Creek, you just go, go over to the, the C's, C's yeah. and you'll find it. Or if you like Mission Hill, you go to the M's or wherever. So it's it's really useful, and I think uh, and get this: there's there's uh, discounts on everything, and and uh, case discounts and points and all the rest. You can save a lot of money shopping there for BC wine. <laughs> Sterling Fox in for Mike Smith in the morning sunshine, talking with legendary Vancouver wine analyst and writer Anthony Gizmondi, who now these days hosts Gizmondi on Wine.com. And uh, Tony, we did open up the phone line, so let's include some callers going forward. Benita is on the line from Arrington. Good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas, gentlemen. Um, I have a few few questions, my first one being... Um, why why is it that what is the science behind after i take the cork out i'm supposed to let the wine breathe and my next comment is i i like to um drink organic wine if i possibly can which mm-hmm. i mostly do i it's hard to find bc ones and when i do they're quite a bit more expensive than um 
organic wines from other countries. I'm I'm really enjoying a uh, Spanish organic wine, and um, it's it's almost half the price of a lot of the BC organic wines. Mm. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the questions, Benita. Two good ones there. And, Tony, I think the organic wine, uh, local, domestic organic, probably is uh, uh, comparable to what we were having in our conversation about yeah. uh, or just domestic BC wine prices, period, right? Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, we have a small amount of land. Like, we only have, you know, so many acres. So all of that feeds into it. But I can tell you this, that there's a huge movement to go organic in BC. And I think that uh, consumers will be surprised that by 2025, probably 30% of British Columbia will be fully organic. So that's a good thing for the land and the people that work there. Uh, there will be some bargains. I would suggest to, to have a look at some uh, wines from Summerhill. There's a couple of wines called the Live, a white and a red, uh, in which uh, it's a blend of varieties. But they do a great job there, and they're both organic, and now they've launched the first biodynamic wines too, but they're not cheap. Uh, regarding taking the cork out, yeah. well, that's a great question. I would, uh, I always say to people, if you buy a $10 wine and you want it to taste like 20, just take the cork out and splash the can it into a decanter, uh, some sort of, uh, any sort of device that will hold the bottle, but a decanter is best mm-hmm. for pouring back out. And, and getting that air mixed in with the wine just brings the whole wine alive. I like to, 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 to just imagine stuffing yourself in a bottle. How would you feel the moment you got out? Not so good. So <laughs> you need a bit of air and a bit of stretch, uh, uh, but getting some oxygen on those wines is great. But then, you know, uh, from that moment on, the wine starts to decline, so, so it's good for a couple of hours, but you've got to drink it then. That's right. So, and, and ideally, regardless of the price of the bottle of wine, if you're going to decant because you care about enjoying this properly, how, yeah. how, so you, you, open the, you, you cork the bottle and you pour it into the decanter almost immediately, and it should sit for what, at least a half hour? Yeah, you know, if it's a young wine, it can sit for an hour, but, you know, at least 15, 20 minutes. You know, the old the decanting was done when people had cellars and they wanted to remove the wine from the sediment that's mm-hmm. in the wine. That's but those right. wines are 10 and 20 years old. Now we talk about splash decanting or decanting these young wines that just get some air on them. So you don't have to worry about any sediment. You just dump it in there. You can almost foam it into the bottle. The more air, the better. And swish it around a bit. And in the next 10 or 15 minutes, the wine just opens up. So you, you've improved your, your purchase. And the same thing with screw tops, uh, same, yeah. same principle, right? Yeah, and screw tops tend to be they tend to be a little more reductive too so they really could use some air and even if you don't have a decanter you could pour out into the glass and then swirl your grass around fairly vigorously for a bit and it, it you'll achieve the same thing tony a lot of people enjoy the bubbly over the holidays yeah. uh, and what do we got in bc that uh, matches up and i'm thinking you know a bargain stuff like prosecco it doesn't have to be the hundred dollar bottle of champagne yeah uh, there, champagne or sparkling wine right now is a really good uh, uh, way to go, and we see that, that taking off. Of course, uh, Prosecco's very hot. Prosecco made in a tank rather than in the bottle, so that keeps the price down. Uh-huh. Uh, it's carbonated. Uh, but, you know, I like, uh, for instance, uh, you can do something like uh, buy some uh, Bottega. If you look up Bottega in the, in the Italian section of sparkling wine, uh, these are uh, really high-quality Proseccos starting at about $18, and they go up to around 30 mm-hmm. So that's a good name to look for. One that's easy to remember, it's not a Prosecco, but one of my favorite Italian sparkling wines at the moment is made by Ferrari. So the Ferrari Brut, it's $33, but it, it, it is almost champagne quality, so that's kind of fun. 
for bargain basement Dr. Lucen in the German section, seventeen ninety nine. It's a Riesling based uh, sparkling wine, absolutely delicious. Do we make any of that stuff here in BC? We do. We have lots of it, and I would say let's let's talk about. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to spend into into the twenty dollars. But for instance, Grey Monk Odyssey White, huh? really, a, it's a sensational bottle, twenty five ninety nine. Very underrated. Uh, Unsworth, if you're on Vancouver Island, they make a beautiful sparkling rosé for twenty dollars. Uh, one more, and, and I got to leave it. Yeah. Uh, Road 13, Sparkling Chenin Blanc, oldest vines in the province, 39 ah, bucks. Road 13. Tony Gizmondi, we haven't talked in years. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking a little bit of time hey, to welcome. spice up our Christmas Eve edition. And Merry Christmas to you and the family as well. You too, Sterling. Thanks so much.